Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark and joining me on today's episode is the writer, editor and director Tom Payton. Tom Payton is known for his most recent film Redwood and his upcoming film Black Sight but also his debut Pandorica. He's also got a great background in making good music videos and it's been an absolute pleasure to sit down with him because I believe right now he's one of the big upcoming directors and definitely one of the people to watch. His vision that he has at such a young age is mind-blowing his work ethic is like nothing else he tries to do a film a year i don't know if he's insane because he never stops he edits himself he does most of the sound himself he does all the writing himself he really is a man with many many talents and i'm so lucky to have him join me today if you'd listened to one of my previous episodes, I was joined by Mike Beckingham, an actor and good friend of Tom's who's worked alongside him in Redwood and his new film Black Sight. I've been lucky enough to see both films and both are absolutely fantastic. I think Black Sight, for the budget, is amazing. I don't know how Tom can make something look so good with this tiny little budget. It's It takes a great skill and I, I suppose it's all down to his kind of work ethic and his detail and his name being put on it so I'm so so lucky to have him now just before we get into that interview I just want to talk a little bit about the last episode I was joined by Jessica Hines someone that I've been probably talking to for about a year I've seen so many tweets and Facebook comments of wow you got a great work it took a lot of work to get Jess on the episode, a hell of a lot of work, but the best things always come to those that wait, and there was lots of email exchanges, and it was so, so good that we actually finally got to sit down and record the episode. I've seen Jess retweet it, I've had text conversations with Jess on saying how much she enjoyed the episode herself and wants to come on for more, so for everyone that's listened and download, I am absolutely so, so grateful, and I thank you all. But let's get back on to today's episode. As I said, I'm joined by Tom Payton, so let's get to it. Here's the interview, and I hope you enjoy. So, Tom, thanks for joining me today for the Mark and Me podcast. That's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. My first question is, growing up, did you want to be an actor or a film director, or was it something completely different to film that you wanted to kind of have a career in when you were an adult? You know, it's, it's, it's weird for me because... <laughs> I've always I've always known I wanted to be a filmmaker. I mean, it's you know you speak to a lot of people and they say that they they found you know their their career or their calling later on in life. But for me, it was pretty early. I was like seven years old. And my dad took me to watch Jurassic Park. You know, I think like everybody else, I saw that dinosaur for the first time and was like, okay, wow. For a little while, I thought I wanted to be an archaeologist, and then I realised that's like a dirty job. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I quickly I quickly changed my mind and. Um, you know, I've always been a, a big storyteller, if you will, uh, you know, and um, for a long time, throughout my teens, I was really into comic books and, you know, writing my own comic stuff and, you know, drawing, doing a lot of my own artwork for them and just trying to create stuff that I felt was was cool. And then, um, yeah, I was about 15. I um, dislocated my knee. I spent a few weeks in hospital with cartilage damage and I just really got into movies, like, big time. You know, my family's quite film-orientated anyway. You know, we've always been a big, you know, movie kind of household. I just really got into them, especially 80s stuff. And, you know, I started discovering, like, John Carpenter and, you know, uh, Evil Dead and films like that. And I, I became really obsessed and, you know, started tracking down, like, rare VHSs and, and, and things like that. And um, I, I knew straight away, this is what I want to do, this is who I want to be. 
and it didn't really, you know, go the way I thought it was going to go. You know, I didn't, I didn't go and study um, film at cinema, and there was um, the time I was, I think I was sixteen, and we found out my dad had uh, had lung cancer. He's, he's fine from he's he's fought it and he's okay, but it was a really disruptive period of, of my life, you know, when I grew up in a pub. Yeah. So we ended up helping the family business out, but still never really let go of this like passion for movies. And um, I ended up living in Cyprus uh, until I was uh, from sort of eighteen to twenty, uh, working over there. And then I decided to start my own video production company. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't own a camera. I just sort of went for it. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I always knew I wanted to do it. I always knew it was where I wanted to go. I just um, I went a really unconventional route about it, you know? So you said that you were kind of self-taught. I was expecting you to say something like, I interviewed Mike recently, who you know well, um, and he yeah. was telling me that when he grew up, he was making films on, like, a Super 8 young, you know, early camera with his brothers and stuff. Were you not trying to make your own movies as a kid or were you not trying to you know at college getting involved in the kind of creative arts team and trying to <laughs> make something yeah totally i am um, I, I think the first film i made my, my parents dragged it out recently and were, were laughing with me about it um i made i had i had the science project and it was um supposed to be talking about the scientist michael faraday and i just went and made a, a terminator style movie with my action figures in the garden and i used Bakewell heart tins as UFOs and all sorts of crazy <laughs> shit. And, um, yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, I, I watch it now and I'm like, okay, well, the stuff I make now is just as bonkers as this, really. So it's not really changed. But I think I think for me it was almost, I knew it was about storytelling. I wanted to tell stories by whatever method that was, you know. And um, I did really fall in love with the craft of filmmaking and started to push myself as hard as I could. I mean, like you said, I'm, I'm self-taught. You know, and that really came from going, I want to do this for a job. I don't have any family in the movie industry. I'm, I'm, I'm from a working class background in, in, you know, in the Midlands. And, you know, no one's going to help me out. I'm going to have to do this myself. And, you know, I, I always say I went to the University of YouTube. You know, I just studied hard, like, every day, like, every tutorial. You know, and I got myself, uh, bought myself a cheap camera. I taught myself how to compose shots, how to edit those shots, how to colour grade. Uh, and then, you know, once I got to a, a sufficient point there, I started going, well, I'm going to teach myself visual effects. And now I'm a really competent CGI artist and modeler and just started pushing myself as hard as I could to find a way of making, of getting my stories out there myself and, and not needing anybody else to do it. You know, and then as you grow, you, you find how collaborative movies are and you get better results, with, you know, the more people you coll uh, collaborate with. But I think I'm very fortunate that I'm in a position, you know, if I was the last day of a film uh, film set and all the crew quit on me i could finish the movie <laughs> yeah that's a really rare position to be in and i think that a lot of my contemporaries aren't there and it's because i just pushed myself to learn and just took that passion for storytelling from a kid and just said you know what i'm going to teach myself and, and that's where i am now i mean you said at the start that you were watching jurassic park so obviously spielberg had a huge influence on you and you just mentioned yeah. john carpenter who's my favorite filmmaker of all time now it's quite similar, I suppose, to people like Kevin Smith and John Carpenter. You're not just a director. You write, um, you do all the editing, you do visual effects. You're kind of a, a one-man team. If you can be, like you said, on a set, you can do it all yourself. Now, that's quite brave for someone that's self-taught. And at this moment in time, with full respect, you're quite junior into your film career. Yeah. Is it kind of 
scary knowing that you've you've kind of spread out to everything instead of just focusing on one element no you know what i don't i don't find it scary i mean it's it's weird right you everybody's got a different approach to to how they want to make movies you know and everybody comes at it from a different angle everybody's got their own preferred method of working and you you said john carver is your favorite director i i literally worship at the altar of john carver he's you know um, yeah he's a god as far as i'm concerned you know and when you see my new movie black side it's just an hour and a half of me going please john carpet and notice me um because i just love his work so much uh you know it's packed full of references but those those are the kinds of filmmakers i admired the kind of guys that were like you know what i've got a story to tell i'll figure it out you know john carpenter is you know he's like i need music okay i'll go and figure it out myself you know and he's launched an entire uh genre of music that you know permeates the chance to today and i think it's that kind of innovation that drives me. I, I like the idea of going, okay, I've got this crazy idea for something and I don't have the money for it, but it doesn't matter. I'll figure it out. I'll find a way to tell that story and not lose the scale and not have to throw money at it. And I think that that is something that, you know, you can only do when you know all the different facets of the, you know, when you know, okay, the lighting's going to have to look like this and I'm not going to be able to do that. So, Maybe we can trick it by doing this. And, and the same with the VFX, you know, I want to show the shot of, you know, uh, so-and-so happening. I can't do that practically. I know how to do that in my computer, though. And I think I think when you've got that knowledge base, you know, two things happen. You feel confident about the product you want to make. You know, you can do what I did and say, I'm going to go make a post-apocalyptic m- movie set five hundred years in the future in the woods in Billericay with 46 grand uh, and not feel like you're going to fuck it up. And on the other side of the coin, you know, you, you tend to attract pre- people that like a, the sort of no bullshit attitude. It's like no one bullshits me on set because they know I'll I'll know what they're talking about, and vice versa. I don't bullshit them, and I try to say I try to impart stuff that I know on onto people, or, or you know, I try to learn from people that are specialists. So, you know, I think I think it's good when you're the your captain of your ship to know what your ship does in every area. I think is is um, a benefit and all the filmmakers I admire, that's how they work, you know? So having these skills in place, you were growing up, you, like you just mentioned, your debut film was Pandorica. Yeah. Where did that idea come from? Because that's all yours, isn't it? No one gave you a script, no one gave you a helping hand. It's it's your movie. Yeah, yeah it's all, all, all me, that one. So my background was, you know, I, I started out doing nightclub videos, you know, and then I, I kind of like latch onto guys that were no one had heard of, and then became really big in the in the electronic music scene and from there i started doing music videos and commercials and then i started writing for this uh, magazine and these guys approached me and said um yeah we like what you're saying do you want to come and work on a movie and i wrote this script called endemic that was really close to my heart you know it's it's a it's a sort of um social political horror movie set in the west midlands you know and i worked on that thing for about two years and i'm 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 a very sort of not an impatient guy but I, I like to just get shit done you know i don't like to procrastinate the idea of having downtime for me is like well i'll better fill it with something yeah and in this process i found the process of making a movie traditionally really slowly protracted you know very long-winded and while this was going on i i, I had this idea for um a sort of viking slash apocalypto but in the future scenario and you know in my head it had been well i'm gonna need loads of money for that and the more i started to learn about how the industry works the more confident i got about my base knowledge as it was and so i just thought you know what there's a way to make this work maybe there's a different story in this universe i can plug away on and 
it came together so quickly. It was like once I decided, you know what, I'm doing this. I'm I'm doing it regardless. I'll wait. I'll borrow the money from the bank if I have to. That's how confident I am in it. Um, suddenly, the guys I was making Edemic with came back and said, no, no, actually, we'll pay for it. Okay, great. So that money came in, and from going, yeah, I'm going to make this movie in like I think it was like April. Um, we were shooting in September. You know, and the whole movie was shot in ten days. I couldn't get any actors to work with me because everyone was like. I'm going to hang around in the woods at night for 10 days for, for a low-budget movie, you know. So, basically, the people that came and auditioned got the parts because they were the only people. You know, it was it was an experience, a real learning curve, and I just feel grateful that people liked the movie and it, it gave me that launch pad, you know. I think I think what people liked about the film was they just admired the balls on us as a team to go, well, fuck it, let's go and make this film and, and see what happens. And then advertise it heavily and use all these social media tricks to get people to watch it and uh yeah i feel very proud of that movie and, and what it's done for me career-wise so it's definitely interesting put it that way i really enjoyed it and i, I love the fact that it got onto the streaming services it was not just a, a release that you had to uh, like download or whatever it was on i think i saw it on amazon or netflix um yeah it's on it's on amazon prime um and then it's it's on a few big vod platforms around the world and stuff you know it's been picked up so a real, a real honour, really, and you know, thanks, thanks for saying you liked it. No, that, <laughs> it'd it, be awkward, wouldn't it? it yeah, it's absolute <laughs> dog shit. Yeah, but I loved the costumes in it. I thought it had a real kind of predator feel to it. You, you know, I mean, the costume again—it's so funny because you know, you look at film and you go, "Well, I mean, that must have taken this and all this stuff. You must have gone into that." And you know, the the masks were were done by a, a friend of mine from a long time called Adam Ford. You know, he, you know, I sort of went to him and I was like, "Look, each mask." I want to reference because we were going for this sort of '80s feel of the whole. You know, the whole idea was let's go for an '80s low-budget feel, yeah, and, and try and put it out like that. And you know, every mask was supposed to represent. It was almost like it, you know, 500 years worth of myth telling about our stories from today. So one was supposed to be the predator mask. One was supposed to look like you know um, uh, the scream mask. Yeah, you know, and it, we were taking like modern horror icons and just saying, right, okay, so one's. One was one was very predator. One was very um, scream, and then the other one was supposed to be like a, a, a sort of um, Michael Myers esque, you know. And these guys have just taken it into their tribal culture, and years later, this is what that mask has evolved into. And and he made those masks in about a week out of polystyrene and painted them to look like wood, you know. So these things were really flimsy. I mean, if you touch them, they just snapped in half, you know. And we didn't have any backups, so we're constantly gluing the bloody things back together. And um, the rest of the costumes, uh, we ordered a bunch of stuff that looked really cool, and it was all supposed to arrive, and then we get an email like three days before shooting begins saying it's not going to show up for three weeks. And me and my wife ran around Primark and hate <laughs> buying clothes. And wow. then we took it up to this guy that I know, Spike, who was a costume um, designer, who put all this time into the other stuff, and... You know, we were just, I was running around Primark trying on like ladies' fur jackets and stuff and going, this looks all right. And then we were just muddying it up and cutting it with scissors to make it look old. And it was the most ridiculous process, you know, it was just crazy. And then afterwards, people were like, I really love the costume design. And I was like, it's just one of those situations where there was a vision and then we had to make do with what we could grab our hands on to get, to get it as close to that as we could, you know? So it's quite a struggle, but you pulled it off in the end. I think everything in filmmaking is a struggle. Like I, this, this is where I think most filmmakers, you know, they either fail or they succeed, or they, you know, or they make one movie and it's great, but they're like, I can't ever do that again. It killed me, you know, because they don't, they don't realise what 
directing is you know you're a problem solver that's the job you know if you had to put a description next mm. to it it's director problem solver because you wake up in the morning and there's a shitload that needs fixing or sorting creatively or production wise and you know it's your fault you said you wanted to make a movie so you can't be downbeat about it you just have to get on with it and figure it out you know be pragmatic don't throw money at the problem you know i think a lot of directors they say oh it's not my job it's production's job and I think, yeah, it could, it can be, but at the same time, when the movie comes out and people sit there and see the film, if they don't like it, they're not going to blame production, they're not going to blame scheduling issues or the fact that your wardrobe didn't show up. They're just going to say, that Tom Payton is shit. So I think, well, you know what, I need to make sure that things are done the way that I believe is going to end up with a good movie. So, and that that's problem solving and I just get on with it, you know. Yeah. If I have to run around Primark and try clothes on, then so be it. What's your excuse then when you're in Primark at the moment trying on women's clothes and it isn't for a film? I just, I just enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, like most directors, you've done your debut and then it's the, the, the kind of that fear of how do I now take on the pressure and do a follow-up? Mm. You did this well because I've seen it and, my God, Redwood is a huge jump. You know, the production, everything about it, the style, the look, the genre. How did you go about kind of making that step because it must have been a bit daunting like you said a lot of filmmakers don't realize how hard it is but once you've done that you can either sink or swim you can say do you know what i've done my first one i'm done i'm walking away or you can kind of say that's my grounding you know i think um here's the bizarre thing right i'm with black site you know in three years i've made three movies and none of them were overly planned they just sort of became you know, and I, I, I'm literally just signing on now. We're shooting, we'll shoot a new one this year. So that's four and four years. And I've edited them and everything myself. And, you know, I think with, what happened with Redwood was I came off of Pandorica, you know, and we shot the thing. I edited it, colour graded it, you know, got it all prepped, you know, worked with Max Weary on the sound mix. And, uh, you know, and um, then the film came out and it was like April, it dropped. And uh, George Burt, my producing partner and, and director of photography, who, you know, I really, I owe such a lot of my career to because he's so talented and he keeps himself in the shadows and lets me take all the credit. So it's nice to shout him out. But he knew these guys, um, a Polish production company, had watched Pandorica and they were planning to shoot something in the Polish mountains. They didn't know what or, or, or what they wanted, but they just saw this movie that was shot in outdoors at night and they said, okay, this guy's a good fit for something. <laughs> and, you know, they kind of approached us and they said... Um, we want to shoot something in August. And I was like, okay, it's a little too tight that, you know, especially because there's no scripts or anything, you know, and um, they kept caught in and then I met them in Cannes and I chatted to the guys. And they, again, they said, we're thinking something with vampires. I was like, okay, do you know what with vampires? And they were like, no, just vampires. And I was like, okay, you know, and it's still touching guys. Like, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. You know, I haven't, I haven't got any vampire stories. And they said to us, look, why don't you just come out, look at the locations see what you think and, and see if it, it you know fires any off in your brain i was like okay sure so me and george flew out to poland to Karpash, to the mountain range uh, and and saw these incredible locations these like nazi mausoleums that had been abandoned for 60 years and this old watchtower and just this beautiful location and um yeah the guy said okay here's the thing it's got to have vampires in it because we told the investor it's going to have vampires now i was like okay how, how loose with the term vampires can we be and they were like just call them vampires and we're fine 
and then they said, uh, and we have to start shooting August the 15th. And it was July the 2nd at this point. Jesus. And I was like, this is impossible. Like, only a madman would take this on. By the time I got on the plane, I was like, I think we should take this on. And uh, <laughs> I got home. I, I literally picked, I mapped out a potential storyline on the flight back. Um, got home, went into my office, wrote the thing for two, in two days. Like the, put the draft together in two days and um, sent it over to these guys. And they were like, great we love it it's greenlit and i was like really this is the first draft and they're like, yeah we need to start casting we need to start building so we did we, we ended up casting we got nicholas brendan from buffy the vampire slayer in it mike beckingham had been recommended to me and you know um he went through the audition process and i loved him same for tachana uh, nardone who plays beth in the movie and before i know it we're back in poland back at those mountains building this you know five meter high monster in a mausoleum and shooting the thing from the first draft uh, and you know, I was just moving at such in- insane speed. I don't think I stopped to think, what if this is a disaster? It became an experiment in can I rather than should I? And um, you know, I'm just I-, I feel very lucky that people like the movie and that it came out the way it did. And that's really down to Mike and Tatiana's performance. And you know, and for somebody like Nicholas to come along and say he wants to be in the movie, you know, really turned it into what it is. And you know, the fact that it's been so well received for me is kind of mind-blowing because i was expecting it to go the other way there was a sinking feeling about halfway through like what have i done um you know so the fact that it turned out you know watchable i think is i'm really pleased about it and the fact that people like it is even better you know so it was insane i didn't really have time to stop and think about what was going on you know and by the time i did take it on board it was like well i'm, I'm already two you know two weeks into the shoot so it's a remarkable film for the budget, and you know it looks it looks absolutely awesome. And the fact that people like Fright Fest um, took it on board again was absolutely huge. I think it was on the same night as the new Chucky film. I remember. Yeah, it was the opening night. I mean, they, they said the film was in, and I was like, oh wow, okay, I, I wasn't expecting that, you know. And I was thinking, well, it'll be like Sunday morning at the Prince Charles or something, which is you know it's still a massive honour just to get into that festival. Yeah, and then they came back. They never, they never told me where where it was going. They just said, oh yeah, we're announcing all the lineup and the schedule online and didn't tell me what was where and, and then yeah obviously I opened it the same day as everybody else and I'm like I think there's a mistake here it says we're the opening night movie <laughs> like what is going on uh, and yeah I was I was shocked I mean with the first film to sell out we sold out so fast they put a second screening on and then that sold out uh, so we were the we were the first film to sell out twice I, I, it was it was completely mind-blowing and I, I'm so grateful to Paul McAvoy and Alan and, and the rest of the team there, you know, Ian, for, for having faith in the movie and putting it on. And the fact that Poland loved it, Mike said it got a good cinema release over there and it extended yeah, as well. Yeah, like, like 300 screens or something. You know, it did like a like a Halloween run for four days and then um, and then it went down so well, they released it like nationwide in, on December the 8th and um, I think we were in the charts in Poland. I just came back from Berlin Film Festival and uh, this is a, you know, I speak a little bit of German, so I like to try and pack, practice. And the taxi drivers are always a good place to do that. So I got a chance to this guy, and it turned out he was Polish and had seen the movie. And then he got a selfie with us, which was hilarious. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, the whole thing is just a ridiculous story that I still think, yeah, did that really happen? I guess it did. <laughs> so you know, with Pandorica, we did well, but we didn't have anything like this kind of traction and you know Carnaby International are the guys that have been selling and, and uh, distributing the film for us and they've done an incredible job of promoting it and getting it out there so I'm really grateful to those guys as well 
when I watched it, I thought, you know, Mike and everyone in it was absolutely fantastic, but I got this real strong feel of kind of, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure you're influenced by The Descent. Yeah, you know what? I mean, it's funny, right? Because I think when, you, <laughs> when you're making movies, and like you said, I'm quite junior, I'm 32, you know? Like, to have made three movies by 32 is a bit a bit crazy, and yeah, especially to take them on the, the way that I have. But I think you, you, you kind of, you start to realise you're almost like a, a remix artist, you know, like, it's like, someone gives you you remix it so that it, it still sounds like that track or feels like that track but it's your own thing now and i think if you look at you know neil marshall's career just clearly heavily influenced by john carpenter yeah and i'm really influenced by john carpenter but i'm also really influenced by neil marshall and so my i think my style has ended up being this sort of remix of the two of theirs you know and hopefully it, it's its own thing because of that you know it's it's my style but it's definitely heavily influenced and you know i personally think the descent is the best horror film of the last you know of the of, you know this century so far I, I think it's a masterpiece and um you know the fact that anybody even said oh it kind of reminded me of that i was like that'll do yeah because there's no way in my opinion nowhere near that level but it's um you know just to be just to be mentioned even in that sentence is you know a real honor for me so following on from Redwood, obviously you've now, and you, you said you're currently getting the, the final mix ready, um, Black Sight, which was again another film, but filmed closer to home in the UK. Yeah. This, for me, I've only seen little bits. Um, me and Danny have seen a few clips and the trailer and stuff, and for me I kind of get a Escape from New York kind of John Carpenter vibe, very, again, 80s, the neon lighting and everything. It feels very kind of futuristic, but with the 80s feel. Yeah. I love Redwood and I love Pandorica because that's, you know, they're like your children. Yeah. Um, but like all kids, you get one of them that's just better than the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Blackside, Blackside is just, it's just such a mammoth leap over, over what we achieve with Redwood. But it's just such a, such a huge, you know, it's the movie that, you know, when I said, hey, I'm going to make films for a living. It's, this is the kind of film I imagined myself making. And, it, you know, we, 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 we were really brave on this one because, you know, the last two, we did have production company behind us. We had producers on on Blackside. You know, the production company is, is me, George, and Alvin, who's the investor. You know, and, the, and he just took this huge leap of faith and he said, here's the money that you've asked for. Make whatever you want. There'll be no creative you know, strings attached to you. You can do whatever you want, however you want to do it. And so it was the first time I've been on set, and it was like, okay, I'm the boss here. You know, <clears throat> I'd like it done like this, and I don't have to approve it with anyone. But that also comes with the, the double-edged, you know, sword of, if people hate this, there's only me to blame. Um, but, you know, I, I watch it, and I'm like, this is the movie I wanted to make. You know, it's, it's like you said, it is very... It, it opens with an escape to New York homage, and then for the rest of the film, it's not just escape from New York. You know, it's it's a big trouble in little china homage it's a thing homage it's a in the mouth of madness homage you know there's elements of they live in there you know it's this huge melting pot of john carpenter films but it's it's entirely its own story it's its own you know it's its own narrative it's its own original piece um and i hope when people watch it it makes them feel nostalgic but it also makes them feel like they're watching something they've never seen before and um i'm crazy and i can't wait for people to start seeing it really so what is, what, where are we with that at the moment? Obviously, you're getting down to your final mastered version. When is it kind of... What's your vision? Is it going to be one that goes to kind of DVD, or do you think it might be a, a streaming service release? 
It's hard to say. I mean, you know, I think the industry's changing so much and so rapidly. I mean, if you'd have said to me two years ago, oh, you know, Alex Garland's Annihilation is going straight to Netflix, I'd have been like, no, it isn't. But, you know, that's the world we live in now. And um, Black Sight is, I feel, it's it, it, it was designed to be a cult movie, you know. And the thing with cult films, you know, that the audience tend to find them and they tend to find their audience and they sort of feed each other. And I don't know, I don't know what will happen with it. All I know is that I've made the best movie that I've made to date. And, um, you know, Carnaby, who were, who did Redwood are also doing, um, black site, you know, and they've got so much faith in it. They led with it in Berlin as their main piece. And, um, you know, I, I just, I think audience reception will play a big part in this one. I think, you know, we're doing a few test screenings for March just so that I can make sure that we've got the, the cut right and that there's no pacing issues and um, we'll get a good vibe from, from how people are responding to it then. And then I would hazard to, to guess it will go off to festivals this, sum, this summer, you know. You know, we'll go the usual route and see, see who picks it up. Um, but, you know, I think I think this one's really going to live or die on its fan base. You know, Pandoric has got quite this fevered fan base that really support the movie and, and, and scream and chat about it, but you know, Black Sight is almost doubling down on that. It's you know, it's 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 made for fans, and hopefully they respond to it and push it out there. But um, you'll be seeing it this year for sure, uh, and some people are going to get to see it this month, basically. Awesome. At the moment, so far in your career, you've kind of had your own ownership on the films you've made. I know you've gone out to Poland with Redwood, but you've been the director. You've been kind of in charge. Your most recent project, Black Sight, you've owned the whole process. You've been left to get on with it. There's going to be a point where you're going to be offered a big studio release, a budget of probably five, six times what you've worked on. How do you feel you'll adapt to kind of that studio interference where you see huge names in the industry now, like Edgar Wright, walking away from films because of it? Do you think you're so far involved in your own work now and your own passion and you can have that control? Or do you think you'll be able to adapt? Because it's, it's going to be a testing time for you. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting conundrum, but the honest answer is I don't think I'll have a problem with it because I am a very pragmatic person. And, you know, I think I think a lot, a lot of where creatives inside the industry don't necessarily know how to navigate um, certain areas. You know, don't get me wrong, even with the films I've made, there's there's been, apart from Blackside, there's been negotiation and there's been compromise and, you know, especially with, even when you get to the selling perspective of it, maybe distributors don't like something and you have to work with them. Um, you know, and I think that for me, it's a case of saying, okay, before we begin, what's the deal here? You know, like, let's all try and get on the same page because, you know, it's scripts and say, okay, well, the script is the contract, you know, we're going to get around the table and we'll agree on the scripts and we're going to agree. This is the movie we're going to make. And if, if you've got opinions about tone and style, let's, Let's put them on the table now. Let's let's let let me get on your page so that I can make the film that you want me to, but I can also make something that's got artistic merit and deserves to exist. And I think it, you know if you if you approach things like that and you you are pragmatic and you understand that you never really own anything. I mean, like you say, I've had ownership over these projects, but at the same time, it's like you don't really because you know nothing is. Nothing is as you want it in your head, truly. Never, I don't think. And, you know, you have to you have to bend with wherever the wind is blowing, whether that's a person's opinion or the fact that, you know, the weather's just not playing ball today. You know, you, you have to just work within the confines of what you're given. And I think as long as you're in agreement before you get going, <clears throat> you should survive intact. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not stupid enough to think that there won't be a time where 
something will, will go wrong or, 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 you know, or something won't play the way it's supposed to, you know, but, you know, I'm also think I'm pragmatic enough to go, okay, well, when that happens, we'll fix it calmly and, and just, you know, get the shit back on track. And I'm excited about that jump to studio stuff. You know, I'm, I'm always trying to learn and get better. And, you know, I think that for me is, is the next adventure, so to speak, you know, and uh, I'm excited to do it. And there are some really interesting offers on the table at the moment, which I can't talk about, but I could, you could see me doing something like that pretty soon if, if they go through. So, so far, like you said, you're 32, you've done three films in three years, which is astonishing, you know, some people will do one film over sort of five or six years, so you're going at a big rate, and you are you just about to start work on a fourth film as you speak? Yeah, I am, um, it, again, it's, it's, it's one of these things, it's almost like the projects are feeding the projects, and it's, you know, I'm having to make that decision, it's like, do I want to do this? Is, is is there some is there a story worth telling here um you know and if it if it is am i the right guy to tell it um you know and it just seems to keep happening and you know i do work at this i think because i, I handle a lot of the stuff myself at this level it allows me to work a bit quicker and, and, and put stuff out there and um you know then it frees you up and you think okay well i could i could go into development this year or i could go and do this and I always try and tell myself, go in development this year, Tom. And then it comes to it, and I'm like, ah, nah, fuck that. I'm going to go and make this. So it looks fun. I love being on set. I love the enjoyment that brings, you know, to me. And, you know, and I look at my crew like family, you know. Like, I look after them. I want them to have work, you know, regularly. You know, and it, we've built this really great little unit, you know, that gets stronger every time we do something. And I think, well, you know, why not? And, um, yeah, I've, we've got a very exciting project coming up that I think has, has been rattling around in my head for a, a few years. And there's a few script treatments and, you know, it's kind of just gelled together off the back of Black Sight, you know. And um, I think, and, and this is it, I, whatever I'm doing, it seems to be working. I mean, I, I think some people come at the industry and it's like, they're like, a, you know, a, a, a finely tuned surgeon, you know, they, they cut their way in very gently very precisely uh you know and i'm like a battering ram really i'm just like a bull in a china shop just like look at all my shit and just throwing it around and seeing what happens and uh it's just the way i'm wired you know and i know a lot of a lot of artists won't agree with it but at the same time you know to reach their own you know your your output and your capacity for volume is really only dictated to by your stamina and uh you know i love people like steven soderberg you're just like i'm just gonna keep making stuff fuck it you know, I respect that. Um, I will have a break eventually, just not yet, I don't think. You don't sound to me like anyone that's ever going to have a break. <laughs> Maybe. I'll be yeah, honest. No. I mean, when kids come along or something, possibly. You'll be still making films with them. You'll be like, right, we're going to do a horror about kids. We're yeah. going to get you involved. We're going to get you <laughs> scheduled in. Are you allowed to tell me anything about the next film, about the genre or anything? Or Yeah, okay. So uh, I, I feel like I'm, I'm continuing to push this style. I think if you watch the three movies I've made, it's becoming clear, okay, okay, this is a top eight movie, this is what it looks like, you know, there's, there's stylistic stamps on each movie that, that are very, you know, indicative of, okay, this is what I'm going to, this is this is who I'm watching, and I want to keep pushing that and developing it. Um, and the next movie, uh, it's funny, because I did Pandorica as this sort of John Carpenter homage that I think we s- sort of nailed, but we didn't really stick the landing. Um, you know, and I, and I do feel that way about Redwood. I feel like we went for this sort of the the scent or you know the fog style horror movie, and I feel like we mostly stuck the landing. 
Uh, and then on Black Side, I went back to the Pandorica side of things and was like, okay, let's get this right. And I really feel we have now. I mean, I really feel when people watch that movie, they're going to say, okay, this is what Pandorica could have been, and you've you've nailed it now. Um, and I feel I feel like doing that with Redwood. So I'm returning to the more horror side of things with this next one. Um, and it's it's almost like a, a sort of a living Escher painting, um, you know, minimal locations but used to maximum effect and uh hopefully i'm gonna scare the absolute shit out of people with what we've got planned that's the plan but also to, for it to be fun you know i like my films to be funny and entertaining and um but I, I do think there's there's room for me to improve and and make something more definitively a horror film now and that's my plan with this one you've been really successful so far you probably didn't dream of how these films have grown at such a rapid rate it's a dream start have you got advice for those people that are listening to this podcast right now that are thinking about making their first film or have just started kind of editing or working with After Effects or anything? Is there anything that you could give them as advice? Yeah, totally. Um, the best piece of advice that I don't listen to people like me because, you know, once you've made it into the industry, you think you know everything and you start to be like, well, this is what I would do and this is how I would do it. You know, and, and I listened to those guys for a few years at first, you know, and and things felt very stagnated, like they weren't going forwards. And, and the minute I stopped listening to other people and I just said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my own bar, you know, and as long as I set, as long as I hit the bar that I've set for myself uh, and I can pay myself financially to live, then I'm happy. And the minute I did that, there was this, this huge acceleration uh, from a career perspective. So... If you, if you want to get into movies and you've got a story you want to tell, there, there really isn't any limitations anymore. If you've got an iPhone 10 in your pocket, then you've got a 4K camera that makes the first camera that I was shooting club videos with look like a bag of shit. I mean, you know, you've got the, you've got the ability to, to, to learn anything you want about the editing process, the visual effects process. So, you know, your ability to be a filmmaker now is really only dictated to by your own desire to sit and get it done, you know, and... It does sound, it is daunting and it does feel like a task you can't achieve. But, you know, from somebody from my perspective who comes from where I come from, who doesn't have family background in the movie industry, who is self taught, like, I'd like to think I'm proof that you can do it, you know, but don't take my advice for it. Just grab a camera and go and shoot something and see for yourself. You know, you'll quickly learn whether, you're, whether this is for you or not. Um, but if it is for you, there's no going back. You just you just play forward and, and you won't listen to anyone, you know. And, and if you do, they only slow you down a lot of the time, I think. That's great advice, and I hope that that kind of... Insp- it's, it's more about the fear, isn't it? Of- yeah, it's, it's, if you're afraid... I mean, there, there is a huge fear factor. It's like, look, you're putting your your brain out there for the world to see, you know. When you're writing something, you're infusing it with your opinions and your perspectives on life, even if you try not to, you are. And when you edit something, you're you're inadvertently cutting it to the way you see the world, you know, and omitting the things that maybe would appeal to somebody else. And then you go ahead and you put your name on the thing and you tell people, that's mine. And there are going to be people that hate you. You know, I mean, there's people that think Pandorica is the worst thing they've ever sat through. And I think, well, fair enough, you know, I don't... That's an opinion. But you have to, you have to put your head on that chopping block and know that some people are going to take a real swing for you. Um and that's the bit. If you can get over that, if you can get, out, if you can think to yourself, "Well, I don't give a shit what people think about me," then then you've probably got what it takes to to keep pushing forward and just making stuff. 
And that's what I think, even as a, a podcaster myself and an editor, I'm putting myself out there every week for people to listen to. They can criticise, they can love it, they can slag it off. I was guilty of reading into a negative tweet or, oh, who's this guest? Why have you got them? They're not as good as this person. But do you know what? It's the biggest challenge to let that go. And I feel those celebrities out there that you read about that will still read their social media and they're, you know, they're getting called fat or ugly and all that. It must be the hardest thing on that scale, never mind me just in a bedroom doing a podcast. You think mentally to not allow that to dent you is the hardest thing I've learned from podcasting and putting my work out there so far. Because, I mean, you know, you are. I mean, your podcast is called Mark and Me. <laughs> so you yeah. Know, like, you're putting it right up front, you know, and, and you are right. It's I'm guilty of it too. I think everybody's guilty of reading comments and, and talkbacks and, and seeing, what you know, seeing people say things to you. And I, I did, I used to take it really to heart as well, especially when I was doing music videos, you know, and, you know, YouTube, people don't say nice things about music videos. Even if I'd make it, I'd be like, well, that's the best thing I've ever made. You know, the top comment with like 600 likes is, this is shit. And you're like, okay, great, thanks. And, you know, it's never going to move. Like, that's the top comment. Um, but you just have to, you know, you t- I think I got to a point, I was reading them and, you know, I used to take them really to heart. I never replied to them because I think that's like the ultimate sin. And then the one day I read somebody wrote, this director is a potato. And I just thought, this is the stupidest shit I've ever read. I'm not going to take any of this to heart anymore. And, uh, and now I don't really. I just don't bother reading it. I think, or oh, whatever. You know, um, it's nice when people say nice things about you. It's fine when people say bad things about you. You just have to just take it all with the pinch of salt. But I think often the writer intended it with. You know, they write they write nasty things about you on Facebook or on you know YouTube or whatever. But they don't think about it two seconds afterwards, and, and neither should you. Is kind of my opinion. You know. See, that's just as good advice for people out there than any, I think, if you can do that. And it isn't easy. I know you said you've done it now, but I still struggle. I think there's times when I think that one comment of saying that that was shit outrights all the thousand people saying it's the best thing they've heard. It's weird. It's a, it's a yeah. weird mentality, and it it seems to be... Yeah, the- that's, but that's, that's, that's the internet, right? It's like this perfect place to just outpour... You know, a lot of the time people come around and they've had a shit day, and it's, they're in a bad mood, and then, you know, they watch my movie, or they listen to your podcast, and they're in a bad frame of mind anyway. And then, for them, writing this is shit is that vent point, and they don't think about it again. And I think they don't they don't realise the impact it can have on people, but I think that just as much as people need to be educated that, you know, their words, they do have an effect on people, we can educate ourselves on the other side of the coin to go, you know what, maybe these words just aren't as important. You know, if you're proud of what you're doing, and if you feel that there's merit to what it is, then fuck everybody else, basically, you know, because um, that's all you can do, you know, you're born alone, you die alone, and you yep. know, you leave behind whatever you've left, and as long as you're proud of it, that's what counts. Exactly, and if I've got something out there with my name on, it's more than the person that's slagging me off who's never done anything. Exactly. <laughs> I, I love I love watching things like Red Letter Media uh, on YouTube, like... Um, best of the worst yeah and every time they put a new episode up i'm like please don't let pandora be on that (laughs) but you know that's just the way it goes isn't it looking at all the films that have ever been released you've talked about your influences is there a film that you would love to remake um you know it's it's funny there's a couple that i've been offered that's what we were talking about earlier and i'm sort of i'm toying with them but um like ignoring those you know what there's some great movies out there i think the thing is you should only remake something right if there's if there's merit to it, you know, like, I always try to concentrate on, on theme, you know, like, 
you know, every character, I think the reason like Redwood works and, you know, and Pandorica works, regardless of the limitations, um, it, you know, I, I, everything is about that theme, you know, like, and when I'm writing the scripts and I'm editing the movie, like, I write the theme on masking tape. So, for instance, with Pandorica, it was, um, you know, uh, what makes a good leader? You know, and I, everything about the movie, I try to keep on theme. It's like, you know, the character, every conversation they have has to represent that theme. And, you know, every every action that goes down has to represent that theme. You know, every edit. And I think that you can do good remakes if you approach it with that philosophy too. It's like maybe the movie before explored a different theme and you can take the same story and you can plug a new theme into it and you can explore that concept from a new direction, you know, and there are some really good remakes that did that, like Cronenberg's The Fly, John Carpenter's The Thing, uh, you know, they took a, they took a core concept and plugged a new theme in and they worked brilliantly. And I think that would be my approach to remaking something, you know, to respect the audience that came before it, to give them what they're expecting, but also give them what they didn't know they wanted as well. Uh, you know, that would be how I'd approach it. But I'm trying to think of films that I'd be brave enough, that I love, that I'd be brave enough to, to even try and tackle. You know, uh, because I think you, when you admire something, like, I mean, I, I would take, I would probably, I'd probably be more inclined to take like, you know, films that aren't regarded highly and yeah. try and take them and make them better. Would be my, would be my, you know, where my inclination was. You don't want to touch something too sacred, like don't go anywhere near John Carpenter's work or Spielberg's. It's like they've done what yeah. they, that's it. Just leave it. Yeah, you know, when something when something's pretty perfect, it, like this is it. It goes back to what I just said. Have you got anything worth saying? Because if you haven't, then don't say it. And I I try to approach every project that I've got, you know, like that. Even when they're my own thing, you know, I might write the scripts and get to the end of it and think. Um, but what are you actually trying to say here, Tom? You know, if it's not worth saying, then then this is not the script. You should shouldn't do this. And you know, and I think with remakes, there's such a, a monetary law to them, isn't there? Yeah. You know, it's like they dangle these paychecks in front of you. And if you've got something to say, you know, um, then it's worth saying. And I don't want to be a hypocrite because I've got some potential remakes in the works. And you know, it's like okay, but I feel passionate that you know, if I was to take them on, that I would have a. a something worth saying within the confines of that concept you know and it wouldn't be just a, a senseless rehash for the sake of it which we've seen way too many of i'd like to see a film with your stamp on it with someone else's script or someone else's vision like the one i think of that worked when it was kind of against the odds is the it remake and dawn of the dead those should not have worked and they did i fully agree on the dawn of the dead remake as well you know i mean that, that shouldn't have worked but you know it did, and it, and it did because it, it, it took a concept and it plugged a new theme in and it ran that direction. And, you know, it, again, I, I just look at that as more case in point of, you know, like um, what John Carpenter did with The Thing. It's the same same sort of stuff. But I'm, I'm very interested to, like I said earlier, to push myself as a filmmaker, you know, and I'm not like a, you know, a Tarantino where oh, I only make my own stuff. It's like, no, I'm really, I'm, I'm really am intrigued about working with other writers and working with you know other producers with a vision and and seeing how they mold together and how that you know helps me grow as as a filmmaker you know um so yeah i'm as excited to see that as you as you seem to be (laughs) for people that have just found out about you today from listening who've listened to previous episodes the best thing for them to check you out i suppose is to go on to is it amazon prime for pandorica yeah, so Pandoric is out on Amazon Prime, um, and obviously Redwood comes out uh, March 26th if you're in the UK, uh, and then it's a little later in the year for the US um, and the rest of the rest of the world. But 
yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of stuff out there. I mean, I've got 12 years worth of work behind me, be it music videos. And I think, you know, going back to earlier, like, have I got any advice for filmmakers? I've, I suppose, you know, if you if you were interested in that, you could go back and, you know, type my name in YouTube and watch anything from club videos from 2006 to now and, and see that progression. You know, I, I don't mind where people engage with what I've done as long as, you know, they engage with it, I guess, is the point. So, but I'm very proud of Redwood. I'm very proud of Pandorica, so please go check those out. Amazon Prime, um, you can pre-order Redwood now. Um, and keep your eye out for the Black Sight on the festival circuit this year, for sure, too. It's sounding like you've got a big future ahead, Tom. I really appreciate you joining me today. Uh, I wish you all the luck. It's You've had a really good start, and I think the three years must have flown by, so I wish you all the luck, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Black Sight and kind of what these remakes or your next film's going to be. It's been a real pleasure to come on the show, so thank you for having me. It's um, Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. So there's my interview with me and Tom, and as I said at the start of today's episode, I think he's definitely one to watch. He can turn these really small budget films into these huge kind of scale movies that you think would cost millions and millions. He's a absolute awesome guy to sit down with, one of my good friends now I speak to quite a lot, and I'm so excited for where it goes. I mean, I couldn't believe it when Redwood won some awards recently. I was so, so glad because it deserves it, and especially Tom for the hard work and the effort that he puts in. I also see how much he works. Most nights he's up late writing or editing. He locks himself away and does not stop until the product is done. And for someone with that work ethic, they definitely, definitely will go far. And it's so nice that I've got him on today's episode because I know in probably two or three years, he's going to be doing some huge, huge blockbuster for these big companies. And people will always say, you never got Tom Payton. And I'll be like, yeah, I did. I told you all at the start he was going to be big. And here he is on today's episode. But Tom's also said that he's up for coming back on and hopefully he doesn't go too Hollywood on us and we can actually get him to fulfill what he said as always guys I really appreciate you all listening I hope you've enjoyed the episode with Tom if you've got Amazon Prime check out Pandorica or Netflix they always come and go on there you can get Redwood on Amazon right now or I think you can pay for it on Amazon Prime do it because it's a great little horror and it's not going to be long until we see Black Sight, which is a film that I've seen and as I said at the start, I think it's absolutely awesome. He nails the tone of this kind of 80s carpenter feel and yeah, it's it's a great, great film with some awesome acting performances and a great cameo from my good friend Danny. Well, his back of his head anyway. So... On the next episode, in a few days' time, there's going to be another up-and-coming director, someone that I think is absolutely awesome, and this is what I like doing. I can go out there and get the big names. We've had people like Kevin Smith on here. We've had Sir Anthony Hopkins, but I love speaking to the up-and-comers. They have so so much to say and so many good stories to tell, so I really like the balance I've got at the moment. Please keep listening. I'm on Spotify. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Podomatic. The best way to listen to any of the episodes is go on markandme.com. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you give us a tweet and tag Tom in. It'd be great to see his feedback, and I know he's going to really enjoy reading all the tweets. He's very, very active on social media. And until next time, I'll speak to you all soon, and as always, thank you for listening. (laughs) 